everybody. Welcome back to the Noel Kassler Podcast, podcast episode 108, the spe- special magic number. I'll try to keep going, though. Um, I appreciate all your comments and stuff, so, you know, I'll do the best I can. That's, that's all I can do. That's all any of us can do, right? That's what we want to think about, is doing our best. Last week we were talking about the four agreements. You know, one of them is always do your best, right? Because there's an integrity in that. That's a creative act, doing something well, right? You don't have to be Rembrandt in life. You don't have to be, you know, Peyton Manning or, you know, the dude on the Chiefs or whatever. You know, you just have to be, like, good at what you do and you have to put yourself into it. That's the secret. If you're going to do something, do it well because it becomes a spiritual act, whether you're fixing somebody's carburetor, mowing their lawn, doing the dishes. If you bring mindfulness and presence into something, you infuse it with, with, with sort of a beingness that is very helpful in the world, right? You know, acts of love aren't all gratuitous and they're not all, you know, romantic, right? And they're not all, you know, the obvious sort of like designed to get something or a partnership. Sometimes an act of love is just doing something the right way for somebody who's never going to see, you know, you or you'll never meet, but the results of your work will benefit them, if that makes any sense. I'm off on a tangent already. So uh, here we go. It was a crazy week. Obviously, we have the Super Bowl today, and I said I would do a Super Bowl episode, which I'm happy to do. You know, back when I worked on the Super Bowl, Sunday was the big day, right? And we'd go in there earlier in the week, obviously, and we'd rehearse for a few days, and we'd shoot the the, the Super Bowl halftime show that you watch that you're going to see this evening is all locked and loaded by Thursday evening. There's a big dress rehearsal, and that's where everything is basically taped and recorded, and uh, you're seeing a sort of recreation of that on Sunday, with the exception of the first Super Bowl I ever did, which was with Prince in Miami. And I did the next 12 of them in a row, or 11 or whatever. I did them up until Minneapolis, you know, to, to bookend it with, with Prince, though he was no longer with us by the end. But that one I did in Miami was my first one. I was assigned to the marching band, the FAMU marching band, which is this incredible organization from a historically black college in Florida that's excellent, Florida Agricultural and Mercantile. I don't know what the M stands for. (laughs) But uh, they're incredible, right? They're incredible musicians. And normally when something like that happens, what would what would take place is the musical director of that group would write a chart of whatever songs they were playing, you know, based on the melody line or the bass line or something and assign it to the tubas and the drums and the rhythm. And in this case, Prince heard that this organization was going to be involved and took the time weeks earlier to write out a specific chart himself and send it to that crew. So can you imagine being, you know, a collegiate, you know, musician, and, and you're getting the opportunity to play the Super Bowl halftime show with Prince. And not only that, but he writes out the chart that you get to work on, you know, for three weeks beforehand. Like, you know, Prince is essentially writing music for you to play. And uh, they took it that seriously. And I spent days, you know, with these guys in a parking lot and rehearsing this thing. And it was exciting and everything. And they had these uniforms that would light up with these neon kind of piping and these battery operated things and we go to shoot the show you know that Sunday morning we wake up in Miami and of course it's raining sideways this was the 
Super Bowl between the uh, Chicago Bears and the Indianapolis Colts, right? Manning, like, destroyed them. But anyway, this was, uh, you know, this was sort of a disaster weather-wise, right? And it's time to go get Prince. I've told this story before. And, uh, you know, my colleagues and everybody, you know, we, we all gather around his trailer and there's a golf cart that's going to take you into the middle of the field and all this stuff. And Prince's people are like, hey, just run the tape. You know, he doesn't want to get electrocuted. <laughs> and they're like, we can't run the tape. You know, it's it's sunny, right? It's it's sunny outside, like when we did the tape. If we show that, everyone's going to know it's fake. You're not going to be electrocuted. It's going to be great. You know, don't worry about a thing. And Prince, upon hearing that, is basically like, okay, make it rain harder then. And went out there and killed it, as you saw. Just crushed it. And I was on the field with this marching band, and they're perfectly executing their music, and it was like, let's go crazy or whatever before Purple Rain. And I remember the field got so slippery that the guys were all tripping up and slipping, you know, and all the battery pack things started short-circuiting, and it was a disaster, but a beautiful disaster because Prince had basically lifted everybody up in that arena, and we were in this, like, you know, purple swirl of excellence. And, and you know, I'm a kid who saw Purple Rain in the movie theater, a couple months before my mom went to prison, you know, in a pretty desperate time in my life. So seeing Prince, you know, on, on the on the on the big screen when I was a kid was super inspirational, that there was sort of salvation in this music and you could get lifted into a you know, into another place despite the adversity that you might face in life. And there I am on the field at the Super Bowl watching this weird little gnome just kill it destroy you know and we all had a wonderful time and it got me addicted to working on <laughs> the halftime show until I didn't until I didn't care anymore and then I stepped aside because when you're doing something like that and you're not loving it you shouldn't be there because it's obviously a great opportunity and you're holding on to somebody else's blessing at that point and you're also missing out on what's next for you right so now I'm home on Sunday I get to talk to you guys on my podcast my little media empire here. <laughs> I get to bore you with some bad guitar playing. I get to watch, you know, watch it on TV like everybody else, and I'm happy with that. But uh, I do send a lot of love out to my colleagues that are out there working on, on it. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that you can imagine that you don't see that is a grind. If you're there involved in it, it is a taxing, tiring week. Like, no complaints. It's a cool thing to do, but... It's tiring. And I used to do that and go immediately into the NBA All-Star Game weekend for years. You know, I think 11, 12 years, that was my, my February gig. And sometimes a Grammy's thrown in there, too. And there was a good Grammy's this week. And uh, I won't digress further. I know what you guys are here to hear me talk about, right? You want me to talk about Trump and the week and the, you know debacle of mainstream media messaging and focusing on Biden's age and ignoring Trump and his age, right? The dude would get winded on the Celebrity Apprentice set going 20 feet. He would ask for a golf cart to get out of an SUV and go into the entrance of the Museum of Natural History where we tape the show, okay? The guy drives his golf cart onto the putting green. He gets winded walking up a flight of stairs. He's the most unhealthy human I've ever met, not just mentally, mentally, which, which of course he is, 
but physically. The guy's never exercised in his life. He's got 40 pounds of undigested meatloaf in his colon, you know? He wears a girdle to cover up the amount of sub, you know, suprapubic fat, like that fupar, they call it. He's a gross man. Like, he's, he's, he doesn't, he's too arrogant to take care of his health, which says a lot about a guy. Because you, if you're in a position of responsibility, you know, you owe it to your family, you know, you owe it to the people who are counting on you to stay in shape. Biden, Obama, these guys clearly take that seriously. Even Clinton, who, you know, tends towards the paunchy. You know what I mean? He's a southern boy. <laughs> you know, he was out there jogging when he was POTUS, right? How many times did you see Trump exercise? Never. He put in a virtual golf machine thing in the White House, spent 50 grand on it, and he went to his own golf clubs every weekend and rode around in a golf cart, took a swing and drove up on the green. Like for you golfers, you understand how, I'm not a golfer, but how much of a, you know, just just boneheaded asshole move that is. And, and that's what he does. He's a lazy guy in spirit and physicality and all this stuff. So to see people like, you know, jump on this narrative. Biden's too old. You know, there's a Ross, you know, Dutart, whatever, however you say his name, Ross Dothart. I don't, I don't know if you guys read the New York Times. He's the opinion guy from Yale. He used to cover religion. You know, he's talking about how Biden should step aside. All the mainstream breathless coverage on CNN and MSNBC is about Biden's age. The sort of pinnacle of the week was Robert Herr, the special prosecutor who's obviously auditioning to be a podcaster, right? Who wants to hear his name on Sean Hannity that night in the news cycle. So while exonerating Biden on this nothing kind of case of classified documents, he throws in that, you know, he's just a sort of mental, he's an old man with, with mental, you know, with memory problems, right? You want to talk about memory problems? Build the wall was a mnemonic device. It was a way to get Trump to remember to be racist because he was forgetting to do that at his early rallies. And one of his main advisors, Roger Stone and Sam Nunberg, needed him to sort of stay on this xenophobic messaging that they had crafted that was designed to appeal to the kind of people who watched Fox News. And obviously it went well <laughs> when he remembered to do it. But that's why when Trump came down the escalators, it was all about Mexico and Mexicans are rapists. He was appealing to the lowest common denominator in American life, ignorant white suburbanites who think somebody is coming to take something from them because in reality they're coming to do a job that they themselves don't want to do, that they think is beneath them, right? And someone else is like, I'll do that job and move past you because <laughs> give me a chance to, to make a go of it in the States and I'm going to surpass you. Right. So that kind of intellectual laziness, that's what Trump was appealing on. Like you would be rich otherwise, if not for the Mexicans and the migrants and the people that are coming to take your job, which is BS. You know, you're screwed because of, you know, wealth inequality and, and the, you know, the, the, the offshoring of American jobs that came with the deregulations on Wall Street in the 80s. And, you know, all the guys you were cheering on that were waving flags at your ass were robbing your futures, you know, and turning your towns into, you know, rust belt, you know, drug infested, right? Pharmacy, right? The, you know, the, the whole like, you know, Sackler opioid epidemic. The reason they targeted all those 
rust bucket states, not to dis, you know, those states, but because there was a lot of injuries, right? Because people would do physical labor. They'd work in mines. They'd work in factories. They had all these injuries that doctors would prescribe oxycodone for, oxycontin, you know, and they targeted all these doctors and they created an epidemic basically where there was none. And it further destabilized many of these states, many of which are red and swing states, right? So the political philosophy that was engineered by a Steve Bannon and a, you know Roger Stone and these guys was to sort of exploit that, right? Exploit the fact that these guys are down on their luck. They, they've had the trauma of poverty and addiction. They've had public schools and healthcare gutted for decades, right? They're hurting. So let's go in there and feed them anger. Feed them the last thing they need, but feed them some xenophobia because it's cheap and easy and it'll coalesce our messaging and it'll be effective and it'll also work in concert with Fox News and the whole right-wing ecosphere and, you know, scumbags like, you know, I can't even think of the radio host that died, you know, the big drug-addicted guy himself. Rush Limbaugh, you know, that whole side of America, the Joe Rogan podcast, you know, douche bro, libertarian, you know, sort of intelligentsia <laughs> will we'll eat this stuff up. But the problem was Trump wasn't remembering to say build the wall. He would just get up there and talk about how rich he was and how many women wanted to sleep with him and how smart he was. And he was a genius because his uncle went to MIT and all this crazy shit. And they were like, how do we make him remember that? So they came up with the build the wall chant because he would remember to say that. It was a highlight. It was like the show us your tits of a Trump rally, right? And it worked, right? And it worked. And, you know, you know, you're, I can't even remember any of these idiots' names, but, you know, the, the guy up in Michigan, the Motor City madman, Ted Nugent, you know, these kind of people have sort of, you know, a lot of them have existed in a culture that it's easy for them to be racist, to be bigots, right? Because when you live in a small world, you're scared of the other, right? You think somebody's taking something from you. You don't see that they're giving you something, you know? The reality of the economic numbers in America is our economy is soaring, not for everybody, but job numbers are up, GDP is up, you know, e economic growth is being driven in a large part from immigration, right? From the migrants that are coming here and taking the jobs that nobody else wants to do, thereby a business can stay open and can afford to staff itself, you know? A lot of that business model, you know, is exploitative, you know, at heart, but, and I'm not justifying that, but what I'm saying is it's allowing the growth that's pulling us out of what happened in 2020, what happened when Trump was president and he thought of his own interests over, you know, doing something about, you know, the global pandemic that was bearing down on him. He just lied and pretended it didn't exist, hoping it would go away. And of course, it didn't go away. It shut down the global economy for the first time in modern history, you know, and that was a real hole. And when you think about the fact that Biden came along, passed two big pieces of legislation that, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is basically both environmental and infrastructure stuff, you know, came out with the rollout of vaccines. And they even tried to attack that because they knew that would be su successful. But that got people back to work. That opened America up again, and not in the dangerous way that Trump attempted to do right away. If you remember, 
spring of 2020, he's like, I want to open stuff up by Easter, right? And we were back in our houses for the rest of the year, right? But he was being foolhardly hardy and irresponsible, and it did a lot of lasting damage, not to mention, you know, his PPP loans and all that stuff where he was just a run on the, the, on the trough of the treasury where all these rich guys were getting money, you know, who didn't need it. Not to mention that cash grab that also affected our economy. You know, they mismanaged it, and, and we were in a big hole. And what's happened since is that we've had the wonkish kind of management that you need in D.C., right? You need people who understand the numbers, who understand that it's logistics underneath a bureaucracy. And logistics aren't sexy, and it's easy to say, you know, a bureaucracy is a bad thing. And they are when you get caught up in them, <laughs> you know, if, if, you're, if you're ever trying to deal with the IRS or something like that. Obviously, it's a pain in the ass. But what happens is when you have people that know how to make that stuff work, it functions at a high level. And that's where our, you know, government functioned for a long time, right? You know, and that's what they're trying to gut. Project 2025 is the Heritage Foundation's attempt, if Trump gets reelected, to take out all of our civil servants, to have no more civil servants protection, meaning Trump can fire somebody who won't implement something he wants to do. You know, if he says, I want to drill in the Grand Canyon, and people at the EPA say, no, you can't do that, he can say, you're fired. And he can replace them with a bunch of lunkhead MAGA dudes who'll be like, yes, sir, drill, baby, drill. You know, <laughs> like that's where we're at. MTG, you know, a voice that would kill mold is the one who brought the articles of impeachment against Senator, My or Secretary Mayorkas, right? You know, a troll from Georgia who was planted by the QAnon conspiracy in the U.S. government is trying to impeach a sitting, you know, appointee of, of a president for nothing, right? Blaming him for something at the border that's not his fault. In the same week, you had a bipartisan deal that was worked on for months by both parties, negotiated with Washington, you know, with the White House for months. That's money you paid for. You know, people don't think about that when they hear, oh, this legislation died. You don't think, like, I was paying for all those lawyers to write that up, for all those committees to study this stuff, for all those representatives and senators representing us. We're paying their salary to be in D.C. and do this business. And this deal, you know, this bill that started negotiations in the summer and was strong, was the strongest one we've ever had in dealing with immigration and dealing with border security and funding our allies was killed, you know, because Mitch McConnell caved to Donald Trump. We knew Speaker Johnson was going to cave. That's what he's there for. He's a lapdog, right? But because Trump got involved, they killed this bill at the same time they're screaming about border security. Right. Every night on Fox News, it's all these hordes are coming across the border to rape and murder you. You know, not true. Families coming to work. You know, <laughs> yeah, there's a few bad actors that, you know, like they're already here anyway. Like, what are you worried about? We're the most violent nation on Earth. People walk around with AK-40, you know, AR-15s and Subway sandwich shops and we don't do anything about it. I'm not really worried about the fact that somebody might have some drugs coming across the border. The drug dealer I'm worried about is, you know, is Pfizer, <laughs> you know? So the fact that you had a solution 
to this problem that they're shoving down people's throats as if this is what you need to worry about over climate change, you know, over billionaires taking over all your media, right, and all your manufacturing. That's not your problem. What your problem is, is some family trying to get across a river and, you know, get a toehold in this country. So here's a solution for that. Here's a way to make sure the children that come unaccompanied can have legal protection so they don't just get thrown in cages and disappear like they did in the Trump administration, right? You had a humanitarian solution that also addressed the security that they claim to say is such a big issue, and they killed the bill. They said, we're not going to pass anything because Trump said it would make Biden look good, and he can't stand that. Right. So he impeded American progress, let a let, you know, lit a bunch of our money on fire yet again and nothing got done. And we pretty much know nothing will get done for the rest of the year on Capitol Hill, which is insane. I wrote about the, in my Substack this week, you know, I wrote about the time I was a messenger on Capitol Hill and it was before email and cell phones and all this stuff. I was a bike courier at the Congressional Budget Office and I'd ride around Capitol Hill all day and I deliver stuff to K Street and all this stuff. You guys know this. And back then, you'd walk into Senator Kennedy's office. I ran into Bob Weir in Kennedy's office once. You know, you, you'd see these guys in the hallway on both sides of the aisle. And every Friday, they'd set up bars, like in the house office buildings, the big marble hallways. They'd set up a bar. And when they were done working for the week, these guys would be drinking together. They'd be breaking bread together. They'd be talking together. That's how deals get done. That's what Biden does in D.C. He's been there for 50 years. Okay, He, he, he first went on Capitol Hill in 1973 as a young senator who lost his family right after he was elected, as you well know, or a lot of his, you know, his wife and his, and his daughter and his sons were in the hospital. And the guy showed up to work and he showed up to deliver for the American people, and he showed up and learned how to negotiate across the aisle to see the empathy and the humanity in the other, not this binary approach we have now where it's like, oh, that's a democratic thing. I can't, I can't possibly support it because my constituents will get mad because the greasy guy in the diaper down in Palm Beach says it'll hurt his reelection chances and he really wants to get reelected so he doesn't have to face 91 criminal counts for the shit he did last time he was president, right? So I can't vote for it, even though it's good for America and good for the American people because my allegiance is now with one man over the 330 million people I'm sent here to represent, or at least a portion of them, right? You know, things don't work that way. You don't have a government when people have that mindset, that tribalism. It didn't always exist in that way. You know, ideologically, people were always opposed, right? At least in the modern political area, era, right? But even then, you know, even at the height of Reagan, you know, in Bush 41, there was compromise. There was a bit of a reaching across the aisle. If nothing less, there was a civility that no longer exists. And the lack of that civility is dehumanizing, right? Because it lowers the bar. We've all seen this year, your George Santos is and your, all the stunts and showing Hunter Biden's dick pics in Congress and, you know, MTG. She's a flamethrower. You know, she's a rabid dog that you just sent it. She's a junkyard dog as a person. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's just there to, to, to drive you insane 
and to throw a gum in the works, you know, or a fly in the ointment, whatever analogy you want to use, and destroy stuff, to be a placeholder for the chaos that Trump is going to bring back. And he's going to come back as a white nationalist leader aligned with Putin. His buddies are going to be the modern oligarchs. If you do his bidding, you can profit and you can, you know, you can, you can continue to live in this country. If you're opposed to him, you will perish. You will be deported. He's promising to deport millions of people on day one. That will be chaos. He won't be able to pull it off legally, but some sick fucker will try. A Stephen Miller or somebody like that is going to try. These guys are every bit as evil as the bad men we've seen throughout history, okay? Nazis are a modern era of the worst kind of dude. You know, the German people that fell for that BS, on average, were a lot more educated than the kind of Americans that are supporting MAGA. And that should scare you, because these ignorant fools that are buying this fascist BS are well-armed. They got houses full of guns, and they got heads full of hate, and that never ends well. You know, and they have no grasp of history. That's why history is trying to be rewritten. Written. I can't even talk. I get so pissed off. Rewritten. Re <laughs> rewritten, right? I'm referring to the Tucker Carlson interview with Vladimir Putin, which in its of itself is worthy of an hour-long rant. The fact that Elon Musk, who's trying to get in on this proto-fascist fanboy stuff, that's what X is now, right? He airs an interview with Tucker Carlson, where Tucker sits down with Putin, and Putin, in front of him, tries to rewrite history, blames Poland for being invaded by Nazi Germany because they wouldn't negotiate with Hitler, you know? <laughs> Leaves out that Russia invaded Poland, too, because they had the, you know, Molotov, Rabinov, whatever, it's packed, right? So they both invaded, and then the Nazis turned on Russia, and then Russia became our allies. But he does this sort of like reworking of history, like they had it coming to kind of justify his invasion of Ukraine. And Tucker sits there with a constipated Ribbonoff, I think it's the, the pact, Molotov Ribbonoff or whatever. Uh, Tucker Carlson sits there, you know, with a constipated look on his face where this guy's basically peeing in his mouth, right? And desecrating the memory of all the Americans that fought and died in Europe to prevent these kind of fascists. American media is sitting there taking this up and pretending to be a journalist. In reality, Tucker's not a journalist. He's a, you know, he's a podcaster, okay? He's an opinion snit. He's always been, that's always been his role. He's not a real reporter. He started, a, you know, the Daily Caller, just trolling the internet for the most racist, anti-woke stuff he could find to appeal to a lowest common denominator. And that's his gig. And he went mainstream because everybody wanted a piece of that. First MSNBC, who put him on, and then Fox News, where he was the star until he got fired for lying to his viewers, and then Tucker Carlson took him. And the fact that they're trying to rewrite history and get these Putin talking points into the intellects of red state America should scare you because it's by design. And there's no accident that it happened in the same week that Trump said what he said last night, which is that when he was president, a president from one of these big countries, I'm paraphrasing, said to him, you know, something about NATO. And he said, if you don't pay your bill, I'm going to let Russia do whatever the hell they want. If you don't pay me, Russia can do whatever the hell they want to a NATO country, saying Russia would be allowed to attack any NATO 
country and the American president would be fine of, with it if he wasn't paid a vig, if he wasn't paid protection against the oppressor. That's a mob tactic, which is who Trump's always been. He's a mobster, right? He's trying to shake down our allies. NATO was established, as you know, after World War II to make sure it didn't happen again because the sacrifice was so big on all sides. Millions and millions and millions of people perished, right? Untold suffering, years on end, took forever to rebuild parts of Europe, you know? And, 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 and the world came together and, 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 and said, we're going to make sure we all band together to make sure this crap doesn't happen again, that we can't have this unchecked aggression march across Europe. Right? And here's a guy trying to do it again, trying to re-prosecute, reshape the European content in this ideal of a Russian imperialist, you know, great country that he'll return it to. You know, because Putin wants to be sort of a czar type, you know, he's a KGB man who's moved beyond the Soviet era stuff and now he just, he wants to be a king. And that appeals to a guy like Trump. A guy like Trump says, that's fine. You know, that's what the original plan was. When I started speaking out, I told people this in 2016. The model that Trump ran on, that, that was in largely engineered by Jared Kushner, who, if you remember, set up a back channel with Moscow, with the Kremlin, after Trump was elected, but before he was sworn in. One of the first things Jared did was go around the American government to figure out a way to communicate directly with the Kremlin, and he got busted for it. He got in trouble. And American intelligence were like, you can't do that. And he was like, I was just trying to make it easier. I was just cutting out the middleman. Bullshit. You know, you were trying to negotiate directly to divide up the spoils, right? Because you thought you won now. And you wanted that business model of a few oligarchs working in concert with the ruler. Everybody plays nice and we all profit. The little people don't get to say anything, you know? That's the, that's the business model. They want a bunch of serfs, and they want to rule over you, and they want to be a royal family. And if you re-elect Trump, that's what you're going to have. Democracy will be gone. He'll appoint his daughter, you know, queen for life when he kicks off. And this is all happening in front of your eyes. You know, I feel stupid even talking about it. You look at all of the decisions he made as president, he pulled out of northern Syria, left our Kurdish allies hanging, left American bases we paid for to be occupied the next day by Russian troops. Russian troops were tweeting out pictures of themselves laying on American cots on air bases that we built, that you paid for, you know, that your sons and daughters put their blood, sweat, and tears serving overseas, missing the Super Bowl, missing Christmas, missing their kids, right, to do the work of the American government, you know, of our military, to protect us, to protect freedom and democracy. And Trump just hands it over to Putin, right? That's not an accident, but some people, peop some people somehow can't connect all of this, right? They don't want to, you know, dig deep in the Epstein stuff, which was tied in with Russia. Robert Maxwell, Shalane Maxwell's dad was all into that stuff, you know? I, I don't want to get too divergent, you know, but the Russian embassy, Musk's townhouse, there's a reason they were, you know, 20 blocks away. 
on Fifth Avenue. I lived in the same neighborhood. You know, if you're doing drops and intelligence stuff, that's the spy embassy. That's the same embassy a man was found beaten to death in the night Trump was elected. The same night six other Russian nationals fell off of rooftops. <laughs> you know, there was an operation and the people witnessed it were done with when, when it succeeded. And if you look at everything Trump did, just look at Helsinki, you know, his press conference, where he walked out looking like a beat dog, looking like reek, right? If you remember, he walked out, said to the American press, yeah, Putin said he didn't under interfere in our election. I believe him over the, you know, American intelligence agencies. An American president said that, looking like a whoop dog. You know, because what, what happened was they had a private meeting. It's the same meeting where Trump confiscated the interpreter's notes. You know, and what I think is Putin pulled out an iPad or something. So like, remember this, remember this, and showed Trump all the fucked up things he'd done in all the Russian brothels in Trump Tower for decades that he was going to in Epstein's house with the 13-year-old girls and all this stuff. And it was all in some dossier. It was all in a file that Putin had. And he'd been collecting it for decades, and now it was time to pay. And he showed Trump. Because Trump looked whooped. I've been around Trump a lot. He's an arrogant man. He walks with his chest puffed out, even though he looks like a drunk minotaur. He has this stance that he thinks is the power stance. He teaches it to his kids. You know, It's this leaning forward hip thing with your chest out. Don Jr. does it. Eric does it. He wasn't doing it in that moment. You know, he was he was made to look shorter. I'll bet Putin even said, you know, bow down because Putin's a little guy, you know what I mean? And Trump's got shoe lifts. So he's probably like, take out the lifts, you know, you're my bitch. And Trump was like, yes, sir, I am. And it was just obvious. And here we are now. He's spewing Russian talking points. The biggest left-leaning communication tool, Twitter, was taken over you know, a year and a half ago by a fascist maniac from South Africa who's high on Mali all day and running his own companies into the ground, you know, and, and driven by the same narcissistic impulses that drive Trump, you know, this desire for attention and to destroy things. And that's dangerous. You know, Elon Musk just gave SpaceX, or not SpaceX, the, the Starlink things that the Ukrainians had been using, the same equipment that Musk turned off when they were about to attack some Russian naval ships in Crimea, right? And thwarted that mission, and those ships were later able to launch missiles that killed, you know, Ukrainian civilians because they targeted apartment buildings because that's what Putin does because he's a war criminal. You know, he, he invaded a sovereign nation and used rape and torture and confiscated children and brought them back to Russia to be adop adopted. Okay, there'll be decades of unpacking this in The Hague when it's over. He'll be a criminal internationally in perpetuity, as will the Russian troops who fought on his behalf. He's letting prisoners out, you know, the, the lowest of the low he's having go in there like rabid dogs and terrorize a population. And Elon Musk was like, yeah, I'll turn off the Starlink. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to provoke you. Now those same Starlink things are being given to Russians and they're using them in country. That's insane. He's an enemy of, the, of, of, of American, you know, military strategy at this point, right? We support Ukraine. That is our official take. Whether your GOP guys oppose it or not, you know, which by the way is a 
political party that made their whole thing anti-Russia. Everything was Russia, the Red Scare, Vietnam, Central America. Everything was tied back to Russia ultimately and the scourge of communism, you know, whether Chinese-backed, you know, communist or Russian-backed, you know, or Sandinistas. It was always the boogeyman that we used to prosecute imperialism around the world, you know especially the Russians, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Now Trump's like, I don't care what you do. If they're not paying me, have at it. That's an insane turnaround to, to, to witness in one lifetime ideologically. You know, that alone is insane. The fact that it's, it's backed up by men who can really do some damage. You know, Elon Musk has done some damage. As I talked about last week, I'm not... I'm not criticizing you for watching all this stuff on Twitter and the podcast. You, you guys always get it wrong. I'm friends with a lot of those guys. I've done their podcasts. I know everybody you always mention you should be on their show. I guarantee you I have. Okay? What I'm saying is the in entertainment side of it, putting all your eggs in the communication basket of online sort of advocacy and activism is a mistake because it's being controlled and owned by people who've already shown they're not friends of democracy. And you can make that case for, for Zuckerberg, too, who, who helped Trump get elected. Trump would not have been elected without Facebook. Facebook is the lowest common denominator of social media. You know, it's where the candy crush, you know, really conspiracy theory living people are. I don't even go on there anymore. I don't have the app on my phone, but, you know, it's where all the people I went to high school with that stayed back in the suburbs spew their sort of hate that they're not even aware of because it's that culture of, you know, I support the cops and the firemen and Republicans are patriots and Dems. They're all like trans kind of like Satan worshipers, you know, all that craziest stuff. It takes root on Facebook. And I've explained to you before, this isn't conspiracy. This is, you know, facts. Fortune did a great piece on it right after the election. Jared's other role was learning how to micro-target because he had friends out in Palo Alto from his Harvard days that, you know, that went to work, work at Facebook and he got in touch with them and he said, how do I learn how to micro-target? Meaning, how do I find the Facebook users that voted for Obama but are white union members that also own AR-15s and Kid Rock CDs? You know what I mean? How do I get this very specific demographic? And he got that information, got it, handed it off to you know Cambridge Analytica and Russians and they micro-targeted these people with very specific conspiracy theories the Pizzagate thing you know which Putin you know he's a jujitsu guy right he's judo master he knows how to, to to push people's psychological wounds and buttons and you know you're gonna you're gonna get at people when you talk about sexual predation and stuff like that and child molestation and you know things that everybody or many people walking around have real life wounds about right so when something comes in that triggers that wound you're gonna react to it from a much more emotional place the stuff is by design right there's a reason that all the crazy conspiracy th theories have this sort of element of vice to them right you know have this element of not that you know, I'm using vice for lack of a better term, right? But, but have these sort of very unseemly and very taboo subjects and very, you know, damaging things that anybody who, 
you know, who believes that is going to believe it strongly. If you're dumb enough to think that Hillary Clinton was really running, you know, a child trafficking ring out of a pizza restaurant on Constitution on Connecticut Avenue, you know, you're going to do a lot to like vote against that person, <laughs> you know, or if you really believe, you know, Hillary Clinton is going to come and take your guns away. You know, or she was behind Benghazi, or she had a secret server designed to sell American secrets. You know, where, where the guy that she's running against is high out of his mind in every debate, okay? He's got upteen sexual predation charges against him. He's telling you he assaults women on a tape, right? Saying he grabs them by the P word, you know? But if, if you're going to ignore all that because you've already been sort of cauterized with this, you know, very heavy rhetoric that was designed to exploit your specific psychological wounds, you can build an army that way. And that's what Putin did. That's what this misinformation did. Okay. Social media was a tool that allowed Trump to be president. It's also the tool that has made him ubiquitous and seemingly inevitable in the American psyche. Right. And this is what I was trying to explain last week, because all your influencers know if I write an article on Substack, as I do every week, and I use my name, Noel Kassler, and a logo, it's not going to be as popular as if I use a picture of Trump when I put it out. Right. I'm not going to use a picture of Trump or MTG or anybody else I'm, I'm talking about because I don't want to. I don't want to promote their brand. And for somebody like Trump, there's no such thing as bad press. He figured that out early, right? So I'm not going to play that game for my own reach and my own algorithmic success, right? But people do. You know, I'm friends with these influencers. They paid for the blue check because they wanted their reach to continue to expand. I wouldn't do it. I'm not going to give Elon a dime, you know? to each his own but what I, what I want you to understand is the business of Trump talk is big business now and it's a lot easier for MSNBC to do six hours of talking about his trials with a bunch of pundits they're already paying that are vertically integrated that have books that are owned by the same kind of parent companies that own their network it's easier to talk about that stuff that's already proven to be a ratings winner or to pivot to Biden's age, or what other any other scandal that's designed to sort of explode in the news cycle, as Robert Hur's comments were, right? I think it's Robert, right? But he knew, you know, the firebomb that those comments would be, and then Biden came out obviously that evening pissed off, you know, and, and made the mistake of calling on Ducey first, you know? And then they attacked him, right? And they all showed lack of respect to the office because it was a feeding frenzy. And those reporters get competitive. They want to be the next star. They want to be the next Caitlin Collins, who, who began at the Daily Caller, you know? Tucker Carlson's right-wing online rag is where Caitlin Collins began her journalism career after, you know, being a sorority sister in Alabama or whatever, you know? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, you have to... You have to understand the aspirational nature of modern media, okay? You know, and, and I have to put these caveats every time. I'm not blaming anybody for trying to, you know, make a living, but the Trump era has become like the geek prom. All these unlikely influencers and freaks and stuff online all build up these big followings, and they all figure out how to monetize it, and they want to keep feeding the beast. And feeding the beast 
is not good for democracy. You know, real reporting is getting on the phone. It's gumshoe. You know, it's, it's out there pounding the pavement. It's knocking on doors. It's talking to people. It's figuring out the hard stuff. You know, and there's real reporters out there doing it. You know, Suzanne Craig, Russ Butner, they, they broke the story about Trump's taxes, about his father, about the Trump organization. Mary Trump gave him the documents. You know, she didn't want to at first, but she came around. She gave him the information that, that made that case, you know. And then she was like, hey, reluctant, but it's, now I can be a podcaster, you know. And I know you guys love her. I'm not blaming her for anything. I'm saying that's what happens. It's seductive. You're like, oh, well, I'm fighting on behalf of democracy. No, you're building your brand. And everyone's out there building a thousand little brands. Meaning, meanwhile, you know, the big ship is heading towards an iceberg. And all I'm asking is to put that in perspective and understand what is really at stake when the New York Times publishes stuff that they know will go viral, right? When you watch MSNBC, everybody's promoting their podcast at the end of the show. The host is talking about their podcast. They're all making TikTok videos, breaking it down, hoping to go viral, you know? If I had a nightly show on cable news, you would not be seeing me on YouTube right now. I fucking promise you, you know? I would not be doing car rants. I would say, this is enough. This is enough of a platform and a responsibility. Let me use my time well, because there's a lot of things that need to be talked about that aren't getting talked about. There's a lot of angles to look at the current predicament that aren't getting looked at. You know, everybody's taking the horse race coverage. What does this mean for Biden? He is old. Yeah, he's old. He's old with 53 years experience in D.C. You know, or 50 years, whatever it is. He negotiated massive pieces of, of legislation. You're acting like the American president has to take in the crops at harvest time. You know, he's not there to chop wood. They have people to do that, okay? Somebody last week who listened to this show called me a shill for the Biden administration. I'm not a shill. Yeah, I went to the White House. Yeah, that's a card they sent me for Christmas. I'm proud of that because I know what the other side will bring to this country. Okay, we're not in a perfect world. We're in the world we got. And right now, grandpa gets shit done. Okay, so he may be old, but he's the best thing we got going. It's too late for somebody else. And I'm not saying it's not, you know, it's not an issue. Of course it is, but it's an issue we can't really do much about. And Trump isn't any younger and he's not any healthier and he's a madman. So to me, it's kind of a non-issue. Unless Biden himself says, you know what, I'm tired. I'm handing this off to, to generate the controversy around it and ignore things, you know, like the danger of what Trump said last night. The NATO comment, you have to look at it not just in the perspective of what we sacrificed in World War II. Look at it in the perspective of all the troops that have been stationed in Europe ever since, in Germany, where my family lived in the early 70s, right? When my grandfather, you know, my grandfather was in the NSA, my whole family lived in Germany. I went over there as a kid. I, I only spent a little time, but, you know, Japan, where we've had troops since the end of World War II, all across the continent of Europe, all across Asia, you know, there's been bases and there's been troops that rotated in and rotated out for the last 70 years to protect, you know, what we fought so hard for and what the world sacrificed so much more for to make sure it didn't happen again. Trump is spitting not only on their service, he's putting them in danger. 
because you have Americans sitting there in Germany, you know, pretty dang close to Russia, <laughs> you know, not that Russia is going to attack Germany all overnight, but they're eyeing it, you know, and if Trump gets reelected, Ukraine's gone. And what's next? Poland? You know, he'll let them march wherever. He's sending that messaging at a time that Americans are in harm's way, you know. You know, so that's the stuff to think about. That's the stuff to talk about. And, and the good news in that is you, if you think about what I said, you think about how we're steadily growing out of the tough times, you know, in terms of what COVID did to the world economy, what COVID did to our health. We're not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination, but we're le being led from a perspective of empathy and progress and sort of wonkish um, pragmatism. And, and that's what I say about Biden's age. Like he's not there to stay up all night and write the red legislation, right? He's there to, to coordinate his team that is going to do that and to make sure that, you know, all the sides are sort of represented to the point that it'll be successful. And I think a lot of younger people feel like I didn't get everything I wanted in the first three years. You know, he didn't pay off all my student loans. You know, I ain't voting for him again. He didn't bring me a pizza to Chicago. He ain't knocked on my door, which is what you see over and over on MSNBC. Like, he's busy, dude. He's making the world a better place for you. He's keeping, you know, the guy out of office, and at least has the last term, who will end any kind of progress in this country for anybody who isn't a mediocre conservative white person. And even those people will suffer because your public education is gone, okay? School vouchers will take care of that. You'll be sending your kids to some Christian academy, you know, that, that teaches them that, you know, Jesus rode around on a dinosaur or something, okay? It'll get ugly quick. And we can't afford to do that because the world is already too destabilized. You know, we'd always talk conceptual, conceptually about World War III in my generation, you know? Now, now you know, now we're we're in such a precarious position, all right? And we've never had more information going out there. We've never had more chatter, but we've never had a harder time getting the proper perspective on it. Because, as I keep saying, there's money in 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 talking about the BS. And it was part of the reason I, I wanted to stop doing this podcast. I don't want to keep repeating myself. I I'm not doing this for a buck. Okay, I'm not saying I'm some hero for that. I'd like to make a living, you know, but like I, I walked away from my career because I, I felt like there's nothing on the other side of this guy getting reelected. And then he got elected, you know, and then he got reelected. And and now we're still dealing with this. We haven't progressed. He should have been an afterthought at this point. He should have been arrested on January 7th. If we had a proper attorney, attorney general instead of Merrick Garland, you know, who was an Obama pick in the first place because he knew that the Republicans wouldn't oppose this guy because he was such a conservative. People forget that. You know, that was the original strategy in picking him. And then, you know, of course, McConnell was like, nope, I'm not going to have a vote. You know, we're going to wait till Trump gets into office. And then we got three SCOTUS judges, you know, that are now going to decide whether, you know, Trump can, can break the law with impunity because he was president. You know, and, and we, you know, we've had a little bit of victory in that department, but, you know, the ball has been bobbled, right, to Trump's advantage, because running out the clock 
judicially is 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 something that he's a master at. He's a stupid man. He's intellectually uncurious, but he's been involved in lawsuits his whole life. Okay, and he's always hired the kind of lawyers who were completely unscrupulous and do would do whatever they could to sort of screw over the other guy. You know, when Trump would rip off contractors and pay them pennies on the dollar, ultimately, he would do that by tying them up in court, by knowing, knowing he could have lawyers that would waste so much time and money on the other guy's side that he would break them down to the point they'd take the insulting offer. And he'd basically get all their product and services for free. And he had a team of lawyers whose job it was to hand over those checks, you know? So... He knows what he's doing, and he knows how late in the game it is. And, you know, one more ruling goes his way, and you don't have the trial until after the election. It's all over. Because election night, he's going to say he won, right? He's not going to win the popular vote. Hopefully, he will not win the Electoral College. But whatever happens, that night, you can guarantee around 8 o'clock, he's going to say, we won, shut down the polls, don't listen to what anyone says on TV, we won, and the Democrats are trying to steal your election. And you need to protect MAGA. You need to take to the streets. He'll try anything to stay out of jail, and he doesn't care about burning this country down. You know, that, that's the story. That's the thing to focus on. And, and you're hearing that. I'm not a, alone in the wilderness shouting that. You know, that is the messaging. But we can't get distracted by the horse race stuff, and, and we can't get over-manipulated. We can't get rage-farmed to the point that we feel like we're losing sight of what's really at stake, you know, because while all this is going on, we're not dealing with climate change, right? We're, we're losing a decade of American progress any way you look at it. It's why I like Biden, because he's salvaging it. You know, he's crawling some of it back. It's like forensic accounting. You know, he's finding out where some of the money that got stolen went and pulling it back in, in some respects, right, in repairing our economy. But in the bigger picture, we're losing time to work on renewable energies, right? Because we got a drill baby, drill guy, you know, and we got the Koch brothers influencing every political decision, owning every GOP senator and congressman and most of the Supreme Court. You know, you got your Harlan Croves and your guys that don't want anything to happen ever again that doesn't benefit an oil and gas interest, right? And you got a Federalist Society that's bought and paid for, you know, typing up documents saying this is how it does. This is how it's going to get done, you know. The EPA and the Department of the Interior will be over if Trump gets reelected. That that's your money. That's your country and that's your natural resources that will go to some awful oil oligarch who's given your kid cancer and doesn't give a fuck. You know, Exxon will keep having record profits. They'll keep building big, giant pickup trucks with engines that are too big and too heavy for the modern era. You know, that's what'll happen. And that's what we're losing. We're losing progress to get people around to a better way of thinking. You know, I'm over in London. It's like, it's like being in paradise. Not that the UK doesn't have their problem, but I'm not choking on smog walking down the street like I am in New York City, where there's a big, you know, delivery truck every three feet delivering Amazon you know, toilet paper that somebody could have just gone to CVS and bought. You know, there's not construction everywhere and scaffolding, you know, and crappy restaurants built out in the street where people are eating with soot, you know, and carcinogenic, carcinogenic 
particulate matter falling on their food and not even thinking about it. In London, they don't let you drive a lorry down the middle of, you know, town, a big pickup, a big, you know, tractor trailer in the middle of town during business hours and stuff. You know, they have some sense about that stuff. You go shopping, things are lined up for pedestrians to walk around. You know, people are an afterthought in this country. Big business is what matters, and our infrastructure has been sort of taken over. Where even wonderful cities like New York are like, you know, dirty and noisy, and, the, you know, the cost of just walking around as a human is getting just crazy. We're losing that progress. And, you know, Biden's a guy who thinks about that kind of stuff. He wants to make school buses electric. You know, that's something it still boggles my mind. These things are running on, like, diesel engines from the 70s. You know, ice cream trucks that sit outside of Central Park. You're choking to death, you know, on the stuff that they're kicking out to sell you a $5, like, artificial fucking ice cream. And everyone's there trying to jog and exercise and breathe in soot. We don't even think about that stuff because we've become numb to it, right? It's like this whole country needs a yoga class. Everybody needs a hippie retreat. Y'all need to go into the country and eat some granola and stare at the moon and stare at the stars and listen to the birds and remember where we came from, right? Because it's not a car commercial. You know how all these car and truck commercials, you'll see a million of them tonight. It's always a Jeep like riding up to the edge of, of like a canyon. You know, like, you know, like some place where you're not supposed to probably even hike, let alone drive. The car is always driving up, you know, into the on the mountain, <laughs> essentially. That's such an American attitude, right? I want to be able to drive my car right to the edge of nature and kick back, right? That's bullshit. But that's, you know, that's become our identity as consumers. You know, this this rugged natural world and our ability to conquer it you know, with an engine, you know, with outdated, outmoded technology. You know, it, it sounds minor, but it's indicative, you know, of a larger unwellness in our society. The same thing with all the fast food ads. That's been going on my whole life. I, I ate fast food growing up. It's what we had, you know. It's what was at the plaza. It's what you ate after, you know, Boy Scout practice or whatever the hell it was, you know. But, like, that's become giant industries, things that are feeding you things that are poison for the planet. Burger King is horrible for your body. McDonald's is horrible for your body. It's horrible for the environment. It's 100% outmoded. If people just listen to, to, you know, to intelligent-minded folks, you know, they, would, they would learn these things. You go, to, you go to London, you know, there's vegan restaurants everywhere. You know, at least they're moving towards a more sensible, humane way to live life in Europe, you know, and, and, and I know that the far right kind of thing and the immigration thing, you know, that's being manipulated by Putin and it's starting little files, fires all over the world and a lot of it is homegrown. It's not like there isn't far right nationalism in France and Italy and Europe, right? But but in America, they're being celebrated, right? A Viktor Orban is being lifted up by a Tucker Carlson, the same guy who tried to whitewash Putin this week, right? You know, it's being monetized and commodified in a way that you, you better pay attention to because generally what happens is it becomes too late and then you wake up and you go, shit, how did we get here? You know? And, and by not 
having the progress that we should have at this point in terms of things like the environment, it puts us in not just a more precarious position in our physical, natural world, it puts us in a more precarious position in our political world because the more disasters and upheaval that happen, the more mass migrations, the more you know chaos happens across the planet. And then a country's ability to deal with it gets hampered because they're like, we're already screwed. We can't do anything. We're just putting armed guards at the border. Nobody's getting in here. You know what I mean? Like the, the bad actors are trying to break the world. And a lot of them are doing it on behalf of the, you know, organizations and the companies, you know, that are, that are benefiting from that. And you can look at oil as the top of that, right? KSA, right? Saudi Arabia, MBS. That was the other guy that, you know, Kushner had a back channel too, that Trump kissed their ass. The first trip he took was to Saudi Arabia. An American president had never done that before. He would always go to England. You know, he would always go somewhere in Europe, a steadfast ally. Trump's like, no, nah, I'm going where the money is, babe. I'm going to Saudi Arabia. And they knew how to play him. They put a big picture of him on the side of a building. And when he rolled into town from the airport, they owned his ass. He turned to Melania, is reported in the New York Times, or somebody and was like, look at that. He was thrilled. You know, they treated him like royalty. And that's what he wants to be. That's what his family's always wanted to be. You know, he made up his own coat of arms in Aberdeen, Scotland, when he opened a golf course, and he stole it from another family. Trump family didn't have a coat of arms. His mom was a maid. She came here at like 17. His dad was the son of a coward in Germany who got kicked out of Germany because he refused to serve in the army and came here and opened brothels and saloons in the Pacific Northwest and then, you know, settled in New York and Trump's dad became basically, you know, a guy who ripped off the government, got no interest FHA loans, built a bunch of housing for low-income people and returning GIs and then, you know, double-dipped on his taxes and became a racist and wouldn't, you know, rent to black families and stuff in New York and, you know, became the scumbag who sired Trump, the scumbag of scumbags, right? So these aren't like ethical, moral men. They don't draw a lineage, you know, towards any kind of royalty or nobility. They're scumbags who think they're better than you, you know? And they've somehow worked their way in, in, into the, you know, the position, at least in terms of Trump, uh, of being the most influential person in our time, which sucks to say, and people don't like to hear it, but I, I keep saying it because you have to think about it in, in the facts of like, why are we talking about this scumbag so much? Like, I know we have to talk about him, but like, how did we allow ourselves to be manipulated, to be influenced by such a coward, such a creep, such a, you know, it wasn't like he was some evil diabolical genius. He's just a schmuck in a diaper who's trying to bang his daughter who can barely talk. He can't read. He's painted orange. He's got a dead ferret on his head. And somehow Red State America is like, that's our God. That's better than Jesus, that guy right there, you know, because he makes flags where he looks like Rambo on the flag. So they think he's fit. He's a better, you know, he's better than the doddering old man of Biden, who's actually creating the legislation and the economy that's allowing you to drive your brand new pickup truck with your come and take it bumper stickers on it and your NRA flags and your cops, stupid blue line flag. Right. He's allowing you to continue to work and, and grow in this economy, Trump's going to steal it from you, okay? He's going to break the backs 
of the people that support him because that's what he's always done. He's a destroyer of things. You hire Trump when you want to break stuff, you know? Anyway, I don't know if that helps. It's Super Bowl Sunday. I don't want to get too into this stuff. I'm happy to be back. London was a trip. My friends have talked about it a little bit. I was there with the Trailer Park Boys, who are good buddies of mine. So if you're listening in Canada, you know who they are, and we go way back. We've done a lot of cool things together. I was just there to sort of support and, and see them doing their thing, but I got, to, I got to be in the hang, and what a hang it was, man. Abbey Road, all day shooting. I won't spoil what went down or who else was in the room, but it was... I've done some cool things, and this was right up at the top, and it was a lot of fun, and it was fun to be in in London. I, I, I love London. I, I wish I could live there, and uh, if I ever get a chance to, I'm gonna. It's just my kind of town. I love all the art galleries. I love all the museums. I, I saw this last week. I think I talked about it. I saw a Marc Chagall, and I have a Marc Chagall here in the house that's signed. I don't know if it's a it's, I'm assuming it's a print, but it, it's uh, it's a beautiful piece. And uh, anyway, I walked into this gallery that had all these Marc Chagall's. I talked about this last week, and he's one of my favorites of that whole like abex, you know, impressionist abex kind of period. But there was something about this particular collection, you know, the the, the color was just jumping off the page. He's a master of color, and it was it was like it affected your soul. Like when when you listen to great music, you know, when you hear "Let It Be" or something, where you're just like, "That's good," you know. You you just something deeper in you recognizes it. That's that's how you recognize the truth in life. I always say like, truth makes me stand up straight. If I'm in the presence of somebody who's really speaking from a soulful place. You, you find you become lighter, like your spine elevates, if that makes any sense, right? It's just like meditation or something. Your cells sort of relax into the moment, and they, they sort of come alive. That's why Eckhart Tolle and these guys are always pre preaching presence, because presence is the, is the easiest way to get there. If you can guide your awareness down into your toes and just feel your toes or feel your breath, you know, I do this podcast. I don't breathe for an hour. I'm out of breath half the time because I'm just ranting. That's not natural. You know, you breathe, you cool your organs, you regenerate yourself. You know, I haven't been to yoga class in a long time, but uh, I need to get back into it. But, you know, that the presence is the antithesis of everything I've talked about, right? All this fevered pain body, ideological stuff. It's important and we have to talk about it. It's a fraction of what life really is, of what reality really is. And the good thing is reality's right here. You know, everything I've talked about exists in the mind. It exists in our conceptual identities and how we think of politics and ideologi ideologies. In reality, it's all happened. And that's not to say it doesn't have real-world results. We're trying to prevent more war, more loss of life, you know, more destruction of our planet. But if we tune into the present and, and what reality really is, you know, like the wisdom of the trees, you know, just go hang out with a tree. Go listen to a bird. This week I was listening to birds, you know, because there's a lot of birds where I am. And, and uh, there was a lot of birds in London, too, by the way. I, I, I was staying right next to the park that's in front of Buckingham Palace. So I don't know what that is, Queen's Park or something, you know. I just made that up, but you know, it's, it's where like the Churchill war rooms are 
and uh, it's where like there's a big pond and a bunch of the swans and stuff are there. Not Hyde Park, but this smaller kind of park. And then Buckingham Palace is at the end of it. So Pall Mall is the road I was staying on. So right behind this club I was staying in was a park and I was on the top floor and it had these skylights that I could open. And I would open the skylights and listen to the birds all night long. You know, in the U.S., where I live, you don't hear birds at night because they don't want to get eaten by coyotes and give up their location. Every once in a while, there's an owl, right? But this was like bird song all night long, which affected my dreams, you know? And I was back this week, and I'm listening to the birds around here. And I realized, you know, if I'm thinking something in my head, I don't really hear the birds. Like, I don't understand the birds. But if I'm present... If I'm in the now and not in my head, like if I'm in the moment and really listening, there's something, there's a message. Like it's like I understand what the birds are saying uh, on, a, on a level that I can't articulate, if that makes any sense to you. I'm sure it doesn't, but I don't really care. <laughs> That's my truth. I want to hear what the birds are saying. I told you I met this kid once and I'll shut up. I'll let it go now. But I did this event at the UN and there was this, this this young man from Africa, and he was from like Sierra Leone or somewhere where he had been a child, uh, like in it, he'd been kidnapped and forced into being a soldier. So he was like a child soldier, you know, in, in some horrible situation, and escaped and and rehabbed himself and became this very kind of spiritual guy. And he was at the UN. We were doing this event together, and he gave a you know a great little talk. And somebody asked him, you know, like the meaning of life or some kind of question like that. And he's like, don't ask me, go listen to the birds. You know, the wisdom you need is right out there. Just listen to the birds, listen to the universe. You know, and I thought that was such a great answer. And it was coming from somebody, you know, from, from a continent, you know, with all the magnificence and, and, and beauty of nature, you know, despite the scars and the and the wounds of, of manipulations and colonialism and all the you know horrible things that have befallen a continent like that to still have the you know the awareness you know that that the answers are beyond me but they're available to you as well you know that's a good uh, that's a good place to end thank you for listening episode 108 don't eat too much enjoy the football game i'm going to be watching i'm going to I don't have any, I was going to, I don't have any Taylor Swift jokes. She's a good person. You know, I worked with her a ton and she was always a class act. I did the Victoria's Secret runway show with her. I did the first big uh, network thing she ever did, which was the tree lighting at Rockefeller Center. And she came into the production office and this is like 2007. This is before the Kanye VMAs that I was at and all that crazy stuff. And she came in and thanked everybody. You know, when we did the Victoria's Secret runway show, she had put together gift bags for all the other angels and she and her mom distributed them at the end of the night like in the cold it was like snowing you know there was there was always a sense of professionalism and respect for the crew and the other people around she could not uh, behave nicer backstage so I'm more than happy for her success uh, I don't want her boyfriend to win the game. I'm not a big San Francisco guy either. I'm sort of going to keep my mouth shut. There's the t All the teams I cared about <laughs> aren't there. So, you know, may the best man win. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. I love you guys. Take care of yourself. Peace.